Hey, what's up, guys? This is Pastor Austin from Good Shepherd Church, and this is our podcast. So happy you're tuning in this week to stay caught up on what the Lord's doing in us and through us. I hope this content encourages you. I hope it challenges you, builds up your love for Jesus. Hope you enjoy the message. We love you. Hey, um, you know one of the very best parts of no longer being the lead pastor at this church? Yes, and specifically, I can talk about almost anything, go home, and not worry about it. So if what I say today is controversial in any way, shape, or form, I just want you to know that uh, Pastor Austin will be glad to answer any of your questions or concerns. I'm kidding, okay? I am. Honestly, I am, Austin, really. Uh, he asked me to do some teaching today on baptism, so I'm going to do that. But I'm not talking about water baptism, okay? Not the baptism Jesus talked about in Matthew chapter 28 when he talked about making disciples and baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Um, Baptism is not necessary for salvation, and yet I want to be really clear. It's an important step of obedience to the commands of Jesus. That's why we regularly offer baptism. John, as a matter of fact, is teaching a baptism class to prepare the people who are gonna be baptized on the 31st at the end of this month. Um, too late to get in on this one, but we regularly have baptisms around here, and if you've not been baptized, I would strongly encourage you to take that step of faith, that, that step of obedience. I'm also not talking about baptism by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ. Some of you might be sitting here going, is that a thing? Well, let me show you. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says, For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body. Whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, we were all made to drink of one Spirit. Now, that's talking about becoming a Christian and the role and the work of the Holy Spirit to bring us to Christ. It's not talking about joining the church per se, but I think it's clearly talking about being a part of the body. And around here, we don't make any excuses for encouraging people to join and become members because it's an important step in commitment. Again, doesn't save you, but it's an important step of commitment, and it shows who in the church can be counted on, okay? Because church is a two-way street. It's not just what you come to get. It's what you also are called to, to give and to play your part that's why we do the next steps classes that we do. Second service, first four Sundays of a month. Uh, again, I want to encourage you, if you've not been a part of that process, to help understand the church, join the church, and figure out how you can get better plugged in, um, it would be a really good thing for you to do. But today, I've been asked to talk about the other baptism, okay? The baptism in the Spirit, the baptism in the Holy Spirit, and as an added bonus to you, I'm going to throw in some teaching on the gift of tongues. Well, don't clap yet. Um, some of you may be sitting there going, whoa, wait a minute, you just said this wasn't going to be controversial. Um, that's a very controversial topic, and it's confusing, and I would say, I know, it is. Um, I think part of the problem is there's been a lot of bad teaching on this topic. I was tempted to ask, so how many of you have ever had some bad teaching on the baptism in the Holy Spirit? But I knew there were enough smart alecks in the room who would say, counting today? So I'm not going to 
ask you to respond to whether you've had bad teaching, but there's been a lot of a bad teaching out there on this topic. My hope today is to bring lots of biblical clarity to this topic, okay? Because it is confusing, but I think as we can remove some of that confusion, uh, we can also remove some of the controversy, all right? I'd like to remove all the controversy, but that's kind of too ambitious for today. But here's, I want to be really clear. This is, this is my hope. This is my goal for this morning. It's, it's kind of two-part. One is to relieve some of the pressure that many people feel because of some of the teaching they've gotten, that uh, the baptism in the Holy Spirit is a one and one only kind of experience that for everybody it needs to look and, and be exactly the same. I don't think that's what the Bible teaches. We'll talk about that here in a second. But the second thing, rather than just relieving the pressure that you have to have this certain uh, experience, I also, though, want to open all of our hearts to all that the Holy Spirit has for us, okay? Because while this has been a confusing and controversial topic, um, all of the Scripture, I think, paints a clear picture that the Holy Spirit is good, and he is a good gift, and he wants to give good gifts to his people, so we don't have to live in that place of, of confusion and controversy and all that other stuff. Uh, part of the problem is there's a wide, wide spectrum of teaching and beliefs on this topic. On the one end of the spectrum, I've heard teaching that says, if you are not baptized in the Holy Spirit or with the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues, then you're not truly saved. I've also heard that, then you're not truly filled with the Spirit. On the other end of the spectrum, there is the concept that being baptized in the Holy Spirit or to be baptized with the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues was strictly a first century early church apostolic age phenomenon and it no longer exists today. Well, those are very extreme positions and there's a lot of other positions out there that um, seem to major on things I'm not sure the Bible majors on and that also, on the other hand, wants to minimize something really important, and that is the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So, I guess the question is, what's the truth about all this, all right? And just what does that term mean, the, the baptism in the Holy Spirit or the baptism with the Holy Spirit? Well, the, the concept comes from two scriptures, one in Matthew 3 and the other in Acts chapter 1. I'm going to read them for you and then just make some brief comments. Um, the first one is John the Baptist talking. He says, as for me, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I am, and I'm not fit to remove his sandals. He, this is talking about Jesus, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And then over in Acts chapter one, verses four and five, this one is Jesus speaking. Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you heard of, from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now, one quick little point I want to make. Most versions translate this, baptize, baptized with the Holy Spirit. In both of those scriptures, the, the Greek word is not with, it's the word en, en, which sounds like the word in, okay? So I think that more accurate is to call this the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And I think that's kind of important, and we'll understand that, I think, um, just in a minute. So in is the better translation, but baptized. It's a Greek word. Now, this is really tough. 
baptizo. So obviously, baptized, but it has a lot of different meanings. It means to be placed into something, to be dipped into something, to be immersed, to be submerged, or to be overwhelmed by something. It's not always referring to water baptism or water. That's not the given, okay? It has all those different meanings, and it's kind of the difference, I think, between washing with water if with were the right word, where you'd get a basin and a faucet and a washcloth, or washing in water, where you jump in a tub, okay, and you're, you're submersed, you're underwater. I think, personally, that the, the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives is better understood as a thing that comes upon you, but that goes into you and then works its way back out of you. The Holy Spirit resides in here, but he does his work from the inside out, okay? Uh, I don't think it's ever to be seen or understood merely as an outward experience that touches you because God wants to do something bigger, fuller, and deeper than just touching you. In Galatians chapter 1, Paul makes this comment when he's talking about his own um, conversion experience and what happened to him on the road to Damascus where he says in Galatians 1, but when he, God, who had set me apart even from my mother's womb and called me through his grace and was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood. You see, there's something key there for us to understand the picture is not Paul is, Saul is on this road to Damascus and the Holy Spirit just kind of is out here and God reveals the Holy Spirit out here to Saul. No, he reveals the fact that the Holy Spirit is where? In him. And church, that's so important because we have to understand the Holy Spirit is not just some outside force that tries to act upon us. The Holy Spirit takes residence within us. Amen. And so he wants to do a work from the inside out of us. It's like you can take a jar with a lid on it and submerge it in water, or you can take the lid off and put the jar underwater and the jar gets filled. That's a better picture of what the scripture teaches about us and the Holy Spirit and his work and role in our lives. It's first an inner work that then manifests itself outward. I think another important point in all this the very term, the baptism in the Holy Spirit or the baptism with the Holy Spirit, never appears in the New Testament as a noun, okay? It's, it's never seen as a specific thing or a title or an event, you know, like the 4th of July. You all know what I'm talking about when I say the 4th of July, right? Or the resurrection. This concept of the baptism in the Holy Spirit doesn't appear in Scripture in that form, and I think it's because it's a misnomer to believe that the baptism refers to this one single repeatable event, like the 4th of July. It happens every year on what day? The 4th of July. It's not to be seen like that, okay? It's not this one single, always repeated the same way kind of event. It doesn't always look the same or show up the same in a person's experience in everybody's life, every time, all the time. It's not a singular event. As a matter of fact, the scripture calls us to repetitive fillings, not a one-time event that we look to. Um, 
Uh, the issue of being immersed or placed into or overwhelmed by the Spirit looks different for different people at different times in terms of their experience, the time in their Christian faith where certain things happen, and even the order of the events that happened. Some teach that um, the baptism in the Holy Spirit must be accompanied by the gift of tongues. And they, they cite uh, Acts chapter 2 as their reasoning, okay? And if you see it as the baptism and you limit it to a single, repeatable, same experience for everyone event, it's kind of understandable why they see this as their proof text. But I hope to show you something that kind of says, well, that can't be what it means. So first of all, in Acts chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, it says, gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem. This is Jesus talking. But to wait for what the Father has promised, which he said, you heard of from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So that's the promise. Now here is the arrival of the promise in Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were uh, sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the crowd came together and were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. They were amazed and astonished, saying, why are not these who are speaking Galileans? Meaning, aren't these the uneducated people? How, how can they be doing this? How is it that we each hear them in our own language to which we were born? Now, here, here's the problem with the, the logic that says um, to be baptized in the Holy Spirit means you must speak in tongues because that's what it says here in Acts chapter 2. Um, the problem with that is the tongues that they received in Acts chapter 2 was a known language. These people were speaking a known language that their audience could understand. It would be as if I stood up here, I don't know one word of Chinese, and there were Chinese people in the audience, and I was given this gift of tongues that I could speak Chinese. That's a, that would be a miracle, would it not? But you see, you, you can't proof text. It's got to happen like it happened here because I only know one person that's ever had that kind of tongues experience. His name is Jack Lockwood. He's a missionary we used to support here at Good Shepherd. He's since passed on. Jack was a farmer from Kansas. So, I mean, he qualified as a Galilean. I'm, and no, that's not... That's not offensive. Jack was not an educated man. But I'm telling you, he was a spirit-filled man who loved the Lord. He had this specific gift. My, my point is, we need to be really, really open, really open to God's absolute desire to baptize us with his spirit, to fill us with his spirit. But we need to be less rigid on our defining exactly what that has to look like in everybody's life or in our life or someone else's life. Because the language of the book of Acts is very, very flexible and it's fluid, okay? It's not rigid. When you read through the book of Acts and people's experiences with the Holy Spirit, there's an awful lot of different things that are said. 
We read Acts 2.4 where it says they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke in a known language tongue. In Acts 4.31, it says they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word with boldness. In Acts 10.44, it talks about the Holy Spirit falling upon people. In Acts 11.15, Peter recaps what happened in Acts 10, but he links it to what happened in Acts chapter 2. So maybe there's a couple different things going on. In Acts 19, Paul lays hands on people in Ephesians in the church at Ephesus, and then the Holy Spirit came upon them. The evidence was tongues and prophesying. There's even two different Greek words used when it's talking about this filling. One of them talks about an inward filling. That's the word pleru, and the other is plethu, which is talking about an outward pouring upon. Now, I don't want to confuse you. You're probably sitting there going, slow down, boy, slow down. I can't get all this in my head. The, the point is not that you memorize this whole thing. The point is people's experiences don't always have to look the same for it to be a move or a work of the Holy Spirit. Even Paul's own personal experience was unique. When we read in Acts chapter 9 about Saul on the road to Damascus and the experience he has, the encounter he had with the Lord Jesus, he was saved in that moment, okay? Three days later, he meets a guy named Ananias, and he has this encounter, so Ananias departed and entered the house, and after laying his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus has appeared to you on the road by which you were coming, has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like fish scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight, and he got up and was water baptized, took some food, and was strengthened. Now for several days he was with the disciples who were in Damascus. So after encountering Jesus, coming to faith in him, getting saved, Paul is, Saul is then physically healed, filled with the Holy Spirit, and water baptized. Water baptized. There's no mention here of he was baptized in the Holy Spirit, and there's no mention of tongues. So did Paul not speak in tongues? Well, as a matter of fact, of course he did. 1 Corinthians 14, 18, he says, I thank God I speak in tongues more than you all. Now, if you're sitting here going, what in the world does that mean? We'll get there in just a minute, okay? But the issue is, if the baptism in the Holy Spirit, with the Holy Spirit, I like in better, isn't the Acts 2 experience, then, then what is it? What is it? Now, I am not in any way, shape, or form trying to cast any doubt whatsoever on the reality or the importance of the gift of tongues. You'll hear more about that in a minute. I'm not here in any way to question our, all of our needs for a fuller, deeper, ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. I am not here to call the work of the Holy Spirit into question at all. Here's my point. Scripturally, I think the, the precedent is we cannot limit or box the Holy Spirit into this is what it has to look like when the Holy Spirit moves or acts or works in anybody's life. It's not about creating formulas or patterns or procedures that must be followed all the time, every time, by everybody, unless certain things are biblical mandates. If they are commands or absolutes, then that's how it's got to be. There is salvation under heaven in one name, right? That's an absolute, that's a mandate, that's the way it's got to be. But with regards to the work of the Holy Spirit, it, it seems to be different than that. 
When you read through the book, again, of Acts, the Holy Spirit fell on people, it says three times. He came upon or came on people two different times. He was poured out two different times. Even among people who are already believers, it it talks about them being believers, but later they received the Holy Spirit. It says that twice. Five different times it talks about believers being filled with the Holy Spirit. Tongues were given as an unknown language, three times, but people also prophesied when the Holy Spirit filled them. They worshiped, they exalted God, it says once, and they spoke the word with boldness, two different occasions. Sometimes people were saved, then water baptized, then filled with the Spirit. Other times they were saved and filled with the Spirit kind of simultaneously, and then they were water baptized. Kent, you're not making this easier, you're making this more confusing. No, that's not my point. Here is my point. John 3, 8. This is Jesus talking. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. The point is this. The Holy Spirit is not about to be contained or boxed into our little assumptions about who he is and how he can operate. Everything I've talked about today, I I want you to see as a valid experience in and with the Holy Spirit. But it doesn't have to always be the same for everybody. So I I don't want us to argue or get bogged down in language. Well, is it baptized in or baptized with or filled with or sealed with or did he come upon or fall upon or... Yeah, he sure did. The scripture says he does all those things. It's all a working of the Holy Spirit and it's all good and needed and important. Amen? That's, that's the point of this. You see, here, here's how I view this. I see the story in the book of Acts as the story of the early church and God's working by his spirit in and through his people. But the book of Acts is not a blueprint or a formula. It's a narrative. It's a story. And my story looks different than your story. And your story looks different than his story. You know, my story is I'm from Cleveland, Ohio, and I'm a Browns fan. And that, folks, is a great story, (laughs) especially today since we are in the playoffs for the first time since 1993. Oh, hold your applause. Hold your applause. That's my story. Does your story have to look like mine? You're probably saying, oh, Lord, no, I don't want to go there. But that's the point of a story. It can look different. But... Be filled with the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 5, 18, is not a story, it's a command. And so under this umbrella of we all need to be filled with the Holy Spirit, let's give the Holy Spirit some freedom to fill us in the way, the fashion, the means that is what we need, okay? Not exactly what everybody else might need. Okay, so um, let me help, hopefully, explain The comment that Paul made in 1 Corinthians 14, 18, I speak in tongues more than you all, okay? When Paul lists the manifestation gifts of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians 12, 10, he talks about to another person is given various kinds of tongues. 
And so the scripture teaches that there's not just one kind of tongue. And it's not just the Acts chapter 2, um, I speak in a known language that I don't know kind of tongue. The scripture teaches there are basically two categories. There is that known language tongue, but there's also a heavenly language or an ecstatic utterance tongue. That's what Paul's driving at when he says, if I speak with the tongues of men, that's the known language tongue, or of angels, that's the ecstatic heavenly language tongue, but don't have love, I become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. So in these two different categories, very quickly, there are four different types of tongues the scripture talks about. The first one that I've been talking about already is to speak in a known language that you do not know. Now, it's interesting. There's two different Greek words for tongues. One is glossi, which is singular, and that's this known language tongue. And this one's for public demonstration. The second type is to speak in an unknown heavenly language that needs an interpreter. And that's glossais with an S on the end. That also is a public demonstration when the body is gathered. That's what 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 is about. But the last two are the ones that I think Paul is talking about when he says he speaks in tongues more than anybody else. The second two are, number three, is to speak in an unknown heavenly language for intercession, for prayer, that's what Romans 8, 26, and 27 is talking about. It's private usage. And the last one is to speak in an unknown heavenly language for personal prayer and edification. Again, private usage, several scriptures I'm going to look at here in just a second. The first two types, those public demonstrations, are a bit more uncommon than the last two, okay? Um, I don't believe that either of those are taught as the sign or the evidence of the baptism in and with the Holy Spirit. I think they can be an evidence, no doubt, but all of these things we're talking about throughout the book of Acts are evidences of, not the evidence of. Private usage tongues is a lot more common and frequent, and it is a good gift a good gift worth asking for, worth seeking, because it has great benefit. And I want to just wrap up today talking real quickly about the great benefit of this private usage tongue. The first benefit is for personal edification. In 1 Corinthians 14.4, Paul writes, the one who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. He's making a comparison here between a private tongue and a public prophecy. A public prophecy builds and encourages the whole body. A private tongue is for your own edification. But it's even though the public thing has more impact, the private thing is still a very good and desirous and needed thing. In Jude, there's only one chapter, so it's Jude 20. It says, but you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. That's where this, this term, praying in the Spirit, comes from. It's from this passage in Jude. But again, the point and purpose of this is to build up your faith. I didn't put this scripture down, but I think it's what Paul's talking about in Ephesians 6, where he talks about the armor of God. He ends all those armor parts with praying in the spirit, because I think it's a weapon of protection and a way to build ourselves in our faith. So that's number one. Number two is it helps in prayer and intercession. 
1 Corinthians 14.2 says, For one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands, but in his spirit he speaks mysteries. And then in Romans, I mentioned this before, Romans 8.26. In the same way, the spirit also helps our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the spirit is, because he, the spirit, intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Now, this one, there's no way around this. It's transrational in terms of, Pastor Ken, could you explain that fully to us? Nope. Nobody can totally explain some of the mystery that is in uh, this gift. We don't have to understand it completely, though, to believe in it and to know that it works, and it is a good gift. The third benefit is that praying in the Spirit can aid in receiving direction. Okay, and I think this is a, a, a very big, important one. Again, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, starting at verse 9. But just as it is written, things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. For to us, God revealed them, all these things being talked about here, through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among man knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of a man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who's from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak, now get this, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. I believe that's referring to praying in the spirit and how it is one of the avenues through which God gives you revelation when you need to know what to do. I've, I've found so oftentimes in, in praying in the Spirit, when I'm at this conundrum of I just don't know what decision to make, what choice to make, God will just drop wisdom in my heart, and I'll, I'll know. Well, Pastor Ken, can you explain that? Nope. I just know it works. I know that it's truth. Again, it's transrational. But something happens. There's a Spirit-to-Spirit -spirit connect that gives direction and, and aids in, in having wisdom in those moments. Um, we could go a lot uh, into a lot more depth on all this, but um, there's not time to do that. Here, here's my conclusion, okay? I don't believe that the Bible teaches that you have to or you must uh, pray in tongues in order to be filled with the Spirit or baptized in the Spirit. It's definitely not necessary for salvation, the Holy Spirit, again, blows, moves as he wills. He gives a variety of gifts and experiences and empowerments to a variety of people. The command is be filled. So let's have grace. Let's have an open mind, open hearts that doesn't dictate or mandate what that has to look like in somebody else's life. Let's just have grace and be open and be open to all that the Holy Spirit wants to do in each and every one of us, okay? Okay. Here's the thing we know about this, though. If you're sitting there going, oh, well, I'm, I'm not sure if I want to open myself up to something like this. The one thing we know is the Holy Spirit is good and his gifts are good, okay? In Luke 11, Jesus said, now suppose one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish. He will not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? And the implied answer is, of course not. 
Or if he asks for an egg, he will not give him a, a scorpion, will he? Of course not. But if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Jesus is talking about good gifts, and instantly he starts talking about the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit is, connect the dots, a good gift, okay? So, with regards to, to the gift of, of tongues as a, a private prayer language, praying in the Spirit, I think it's a very good gift and one well worth asking for. Well, how do you receive it? Again, I think it's you ask. Now, I'm going to just give a little personal confession here, okay? Um, I am not big on what I call the, the coached version of this. In other words, have somebody come and say, hey, just, just start praying A-E-I-O-U or just start making sounds or, hey, repeat my prayer language and, and you'll get it too. That, that's not my approach. Now, you can never or should never let personal experience dictate your theology, but personal experience can't help but influence your theology, Okay. How it happened to you or how it happened to me has some bearing. So I just want to share my story with you real quickly as I wrap this thing up. Back when I was 18 years old, I was a youth pastor. And um, <laughs> I think back on that and shake my head sometimes. I'm 18. I'm pastoring kids who are my age. And I, needless to say, was in so far over my head. I had no idea what to do, what I was doing. I was desperate. And I can remember vividly, I had a little office up in the bell tower of our church, and I'm up there one day just crying out to God, Lord, I need your help. I don't know what to do. Oh, please give me wisdom. Fill me. I mean, I, I can't quote the prayer verbatim, but it was a desperate prayer, okay? Knowing my desperate need for God's Spirit to help me. In the midst of this prayer, all of a sudden out of my mouth comes this heavenly language, I'm a conservative Baptist. We don't do those kinds of things. I grew up in a church that I wasn't taught that this was just for the first century. I literally was taught that this was of the devil. Okay? So I'm in this moment. I'm having this wonderful experience with the Lord. Not just this prayer language, but I'm telling you, I never felt love, joy, and peace like this ever before. And so I am basking in the glory of this on the one hand, and on the other hand, I'm clamping my mouth shut for fear of what I'm doing in light of what I've been taught. Thank God the reality of this experience and the, the manifestation of the joy and everything else that went with it overrode that. I wish I had time today to survey this room and talk about the wide variety of experiences that are in here. Put your hand up if this has happened or that has happened. You'd be astounded as to the variety of experiences in this room with the Holy Spirit. I just want to say good. Because he's diverse, and he's unique, and so are you, and so am I. And so all of his work needs to be viewed through this lens of he is good. His gifts are good, and he wants to help us. He wants to mature us and grow us. So I don't care if you call it baptized, filled, zapped. You pick the language. The bottom line is we all desperately, regularly need more of the Holy Spirit's work within us. Amen? And I also believe that the Holy Spirit needs or wants greater surrender from each of us as well. Greater dependence, greater openness from us towards him because we truly do believe he is a good gift. 
however it is he wants to manifest. So best advice I can give you before I pray for you, don't seek an experience because that's not the point. Don't seek an experience. Seek the person of the Holy Spirit and let him dictate, govern, lead you in terms of what that experience is gonna look like. Amen? Okay, stand please if you would. I wanna pray for you before I let you go home. We're not gonna have a big healing line today because again, that violates my personal experience and I'm not the grand exalted poobah of the baptism in the Holy Spirit. I just think uh, what I've taught today is, is biblical and it pretty well takes in the whole counsel of what God's word says, not every detail, but um, what I wanna do is just pray for you and uh, well, I'll just pray and it'll make sense. Father, um, I thank you today for uh, your word and the fact that something that's been uh, cherry picked in some ways in terms of how it's been taught, um, it's not that uh, mystical and absolutely ununderstandable. Uh, your word gives us some boundaries and explains a lot about the different ways in which your Holy Spirit wants to come and work and fill us or baptize us or whatever language we choose to use, Lord. Um, I just pray that there will be a, a greater hunger in all of us for your spirit and his work that we would realize more deeply maybe than ever, how desperate we are in this crazy world in which we uh, live and have to navigate. Oh God, we need your Holy Spirit. So come pour him out on us. And Lord, I'm asking that there will be an increased awareness of our need, an increased openness to your work, an increased belief that no matter what we've been taught in the past, that the truth is your Holy Spirit is a good gift. And we can trust you, God, to give us what we need out of the resource of your abundance in the Holy Spirit. Lord, let this not just be a, we're fired up Sunday morning, but let this be an ongoing, continued pursuit in all of our lives to, to seek you for more and more of your spirit. And I pray, God, that there will be um, an outpouring of uh, your goodness to us in whatever form you desire that to look like. If there's a hunger in this this room right now, God, for uh, that, that gift of a prayer language. I pray that as people go home and start to seek you more fully on that, that you, even as you did with me, that you will just uh, pour out that great gift. I've seen over the years, Lord, many, many benefits in my own life because of that, because of your goodness. And I just want to bless my brothers and sisters with that same goodness, if that's your heart and your intent. So Lord, just, just free us up, I guess, not to live under this expectation. It's got to be like this not to live under any judgment if our experience doesn't look just like somebody else's, but let us be children who open their arms and open their hearts to a father who wants to give the good gift of the Holy Spirit to us. In Jesus' name, amen. So God bless you. I pray you have a uh, wonderful, wonderful week. And Lord willing, we'll see you next Sunday. 